the business savvy singer. Hey there, and welcome to the Business Savvy Singer podcast. I'm Dr. Greta Pope, and I'm so glad that you're here. This podcast is dedicated to vocalists and to those who love them. We interview singers who are working professionally to get a glimpse into their lives and celebrate their personal journey to success. Join us weekly to learn how to move your career forward. Get tips and recommendations to help you realize the career of your dreams. You're listening to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast, brought to you by the privatemusicstudio.net, providing online education to build sustainable careers in music. Also, Eternal Wolf Music, producing audio for every need. And Greta Pope Entertainment, for the finest in entertainment. Welcome to Season 2 of the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. This season, not only will we be hearing from singers, we will also be hearing from professionals providing support services to singers. Hey there, and welcome to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. I'm very excited today. I have a lovely woman with me. Uh, she is a, an expert vocal pedagogue, and her name is Dr. Julia Nielsen. Dr. Nielsen, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Greta. Absolutely. I'm so, so excited. And if I may call you Julia, we will proceed in that way. Of course. Okay. Absolutely. So, Julia, we want to know a little bit about how you got started in music. You have such a wonderful uh, story, wonderful experience, and we just want to know all about you today. So how did you begin? Were you a child? Did you start as a vocalist or on another instrument or what? Well, this is actually a great story. Um, now, whether this was fate or a happy accident, we will never know. <laughs> but I made my San Francisco opera debut quite uh, by accident at the age of six. Oh, my gosh. I was in a production of The Magic Flute at the San Francisco Opera. And uh, it came about in this way. One of my friends from kindergarten had a father who was a trustee at the San Francisco Opera. And whenever they needed children as supers, in the productions, my little friend Celia got to be in the opera. Well, in this production of The Magic Flute, uh, you know, there's the, the famous storyline between the bird catcher Papageno and his eventual wife Papagena, and they sing a famous slash infamous duet about how they are going to have little bird children. Yeah. Well, the director of this production decided that in the finale, uh, he wanted Papageno and Papagena to come out on stage with their little family of bird children. <laughs> I love that. So, so this was my debut role. I was a little Papagenette. And so as it turned out, my first paycheck ever was from the San Francisco Opera. They paid us $3 a performance. They paid us in $1 bills. We thought we were rich 
But I had this amazing experience as a very small child of being backstage at the San Francisco Opera. Um, you know, one of my vivid memories of this production is that at every show, the, the, the baritone who was singing Papageno would take one of his bird children up on his shoulders and walk out onto, onto the stage in the finale with his little, with his little bird child on his shoulders. Well, we took turns, but I was scared. He was very tall and I was a little bit shy and I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And finally, in the final performance, I said, okay. And I still remember looking out into the blackness of the San Francisco Opera House, which is absolutely, you know, huge. And just thinking, wow. Wow. And so... Whether that started me on my path or whether that was the universe's way of saying, this is going to be your path. Yes. That was, that was my start. Wow. That is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. And what's interesting is that, you know, I knew that we kind of had some things in common. My very first operatic role was Papagena. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, wow. It's a wonderful opera. And how fun. I mean, my, you know, my production didn't have any little kids. What a clever, what a clever idea. It, it was. And, and here, and here's sort of another interesting piece of this uh, story. So the singer who was performing the role of Pamina, uh, the soprano lead in this production was Kiri Takanawa. Oh my goodness. Who, is one of the most famous, uh, you know, lyric wow. sopranos of our generation or, or several, the past several generations. Wow. So I have a photograph sitting on my piano of Kiri Takanawa is in the center. And here are the six little bird children over here. So, you know, we can talk about my musical journey from there, but I'm going to fast forward to sort of the end of high school where it was clear that I had a lot of vocal talent, a lot of musical talent. I had had experiences where my, my, you know, my training was very elite, but I still thought that I was going to be a lawyer like my dad. <laughs> and then I remember it so clearly. I went with some friends to see the movie, A Room with a View. Oh, yes. Do you remember this movie? I do. So the soundtrack was a lot of opera and it was sung by Kiri Takanawa. She sang these famous Puccini arias. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the movie theater, listening to that soundtrack and thinking, yeah, I'm not going to be a lawyer. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to do this singing thing. And it was her voice that led me to that uh, intention, which I had very clearly as, a, as a, an 11th grader. Wow. It's like the universe led you in this direction. Isn't that something? And you listened and you listened. That's an important piece of it as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Wow. So from the time you were six, from that time until you were in 11th grade, what were your experiences like with music? Well, my early experiences were in church choirs. I was lucky enough to be uh, part of two really wonderful um, children's choirs between, you know, during my elementary school years. Mm -hmm. And these experiences led me to what was a sort of a formative part of my vocal training, which was to the San Francisco Girls Chorus. Mm. 
the San Francisco Girls Chorus, which is still in existence today, here decades later, uh, is one of the elite children's choruses in the world. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was a very young organization. I think it was just a couple years old when I joined as a fifth grader. And for the next five years, I received the best musical training, I think, that any young singer could ever dream of. So in addition to um, all of the choral training, we received um, training in music theory and in solfege. I I have memories of just, you know, having the little Kodai hand signs <laughs> thrown at me and we would sit there and we would sing right back and we just, we just loved it. And, you know, as a member of the elite performing ensemble of this organization, I went on tour various places. I sang again with the San Francisco Opera wow. in Children's Chorus. And um, one of the best things about this uh, experience was we had to memorize everything, wow. everything. <laughs> I, I still remember, it still slightly shocks me to this day to watch a choir performing when they're actually holding the score. <laughs> this was This was unthinkable to us as girls and we would have to memorize you know eight verses of the christmas carol in spanish and we would have to you know um so i got wonderful training in you know foreign language diction wonderful um, and so that really set me on my on my path Mm -hmm. um i went to a wonderful high school in san francisco that had a great music program and uh, that's how we arrived at 11th grade when I decided, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. Wow, <laughs> that is great. Now, I have to tell our listeners, um, I am the, the director of workshops for the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Teachers of Singing. And this is how you and I met. That's I right. had gotten word of, of the offerings that you uh, have and contacted you to be uh, a speaker for a workshop. Mm-hmm. And you told us an extremely interesting story about your connection with Chicago. So would you would you repeat oh. that story? I love this story. Oh, a- well, absolutely. So um, it was such a pleasure to present for the Chicago uh, Nats chapter. I am a proud member of the San Francisco Bay Area Nats mm-hmm. chapter. I have been for years. Um, but I told all my colleagues in Chicago that I consider myself uh, an honorary Chicagoan. My my father was born in Chicago. Uh, my mother and father went to graduate school in Chicago. And I would have been born, I'm sure, in Chicago had it not been for the blizzard of 1967, I believe it was, where my dad went into a restaurant to have lunch with some friends. He came out about 45 minutes later. His car was completely covered with snow. Uh, and it stayed that way for at least a week as the city you know, dug out of that blizzard. And it was at that point that my parents said, there's got to be a better place. (laughs) If you didn't have to live in snow, why would you? You know, some people love snow. My dad, he was not one of them. Uh, So, uh, you know, when he graduated and got his first job, he only interviewed on the West Coast. And that is how (laughs) I wound up as a San Francisco native rather than 
as a Chicagoan. I love that. I love that story. I mean, you know, there are such interesting things that that cause us to move from one place to another, whatever, uh, and and changes kind of the history of our families. But uh, you know, this is such an interesting story. So once you decided to become a singer, then what were your next steps? Well, I did not take a private voice lesson until I was a senior in high school. And this was by design rather than by lack of opportunity. So I mentioned that I was um, in wonderful uh, children's choirs, church choirs. Mm-hmm. The man who eventually became my musical grandfather, shall we say, was the director of uh, music at the church that I attended as a child. He was the director of the junior choir at Calvary Presbyterian Church in San Francisco. Um, His name was Alden Gilchrist, and he held that position for 63 years. Wow. He was an absolute institution in the San Francisco music scene, and he passed on uh, about seven or eight years ago. Uh, So from time to time, so he knew of my musical talent from the junior choir, and from time to time, my parents would consult him, sort of almost like the pediatrician, but for the voice, you know, (laughs) what should we do with uh, Julia? And his advice, which now seems a little bit, a little bit old fashioned was she shouldn't take voice lessons until she's 16 or 17 years Mm -hmm. old. Mm -hmm. It used to be a much more uh, common um, belief, I think, than it is today. So my parents took him at his word. And I, as much as I would have loved private voice lessons, I didn't get any Mm -hmm. until I was a 12th grader. And at that time, there was a famous, famous uh, Metropolitan Opera star who was teaching in San Francisco. Her name was Blanche Thebaum. And she had been a lyric mezzo-soprano who had been famous uh, for her floor-length black hair. She was an absolutely wonderful, amazing woman. And she became my first voice teacher. And because of her advice, I made the next big decision about my life as a musician. And she was absolutely in favor of me, you know, growing up to be a singer. She thought that was a wonderful plan, but she said, don't go to conservatory. Don't go to a music school. Her advice was go get yourself a liberal arts education, Mm -hmm. study languages, study history, study art, study drama, all of these things that sort of feed the the, the singer's ability to interpret Mm -hmm. um, the music that that she sings. So on her advice, I applied to, you know, liberal arts schools, and I ended up uh, going to Stanford University, where I I did major in music, you know, and she wasn't too happy about that. (laughs) But uh, I also studied all of those things that she wanted me to study. And finally, when I had my undergraduate degree, and I had, for various reasons, I had changed teachers at that point. um, That's when I decided it's time now to specialize. So I I went to Indiana University, Mm -hmm. where I studied with two more amazing teachers. As a master's student, I studied with Margaret Harshaw, who was one of the great Wagnerians of, you know, of the 20th century Mm -hmm. and certainly 
one of the most famous uh, voice teachers that Indiana University ever had. She retired um, during my tenure and I studied with Martina Arroyo. As I know, right? The intake of breath. Wow. I studied as a as a doctoral student. I studied with uh, with Miss Arroyo. Wow, that is fantastic! Wow. So when you finished with your studies at Indiana, mm-hmm. what did you do? Did you go out and and have a career, or did you immediately become a vocal pedagogue, or what? What went on with your career? So, so it was, it was sort of an interesting transitional time in my life. I um, sort of took the dual track simultaneously where I began teaching almost immediately. I also began performing. I returned uh, home from Indiana, from Bloomington, Indiana, where I had been for that graduate work. And I returned home to San Francisco and I got very involved in the local opera scene. We have so many wonderful small um, opera companies in the Bay Area, in addition to, of course, the the behemoth, the San Francisco Mm -hmm. Opera. But I also began teaching immediately. And one of the places that I began teaching was the San Francisco Girls Chorus. I was on their voice faculty for 15 years. And um, uh, when I got married and had my son, um, then my career path turned definitely more towards teaching, although I still do some performing, but that's what felt obvious for us. And that's what enabled me to have the kind of family and be the kind of mother that I really want it to be. That's and I so don't, wonderful. I don't, I don't regret taking that turn. Yeah. But I will mention one other, um, I think one of the other uh, pivotal moments and relationships in my career as a pedagogue was when I met my current teacher, uh, David Jones in New York. Now, all of the teachers that I had studied with before had helped me to learn what it uh, learn what it means to be a great singer, mm-hmm. but David showed me what it means to be a great teacher, mm-hmm. and I think that David Jones is uh, the finest pedagogue who is alive today wow. on the planet Earth. It's been my honor to apprentice with him for the last fifteen years, wow. and when I say apprentice, I have watched him teach for over five hundred hours. Uh, I would make trips to New York and he came to teach in San Francisco. I would clear the decks for a week and I would just sit on the couch and I would watch a master do what he does. And so I really feel like it was his example that uh, ignited my true passion for teaching. Teaching is not, sometimes it's something that people fall into or do on the side or do as a second choice. No, this is my first choice. And when I think about the life I have now, being able to touch the lives of so many singers to influence their lives in these positive ways. Mm -hmm. When I think about this life that I now have versus maybe the life of the full-time performer that I had dreamed of as an 11th grader, Mm -hmm. once again, the universe had my back. Yeah. this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Well, I will tell our listeners the presentation that you made to us um, for the, for our Nats chapter uh, was vibrato, a teacher's guide 
And I'm telling you, it was just excellent. You talked about the science of it, so many different aspects of vibrato, the different types of vibrato, uh, when it's good to use it and, and that it can be damaging if you don't use it. So it can many be, interesting things. not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. And uh, everyone just loved it. So I'd like you to talk with us a little bit about some of the presentations that you offer in addition to the vibrato one. Absolutely. So I got started um, uh, in my passion for vocal pedagogy as a student at Indiana University, where as a doctoral student, we had to write a thesis for graduation. And um, and the topic that I chose was the scientific revolution in vocal pedagogy, which we can trace back to the mid 19th century and the invention of the laryngoscope, which was the little instrument that first allowed people to see, to look at mm -hmm. the vocal folds while someone was singing. So the research that I did for that thesis um, was so rewarding. It was so fascinating to me. I realized that I really enjoyed research and not only that, but I enjoyed taking research, synthesizing it mm -hmm. and sort of crafting um, presentations that would be practical for singers and teachers. So I would say that some of my very particular research interests are, yes, first of all, vibrato. Um, I also do a lot of um, presentations on vocal agility. How do we get, how do we get the, how do we sing a fast scale mm -hmm. with ease and accuracy? Um, this is something, again, which ties a little bit back to my interest in the history of how voice was taught. Um, which is uh, a third research interest of mine that I present on often. Um, how was voice taught mm -hmm. 100 years ago, 150 years ago? What were the different ex expectations that teachers had for, uh, for their students? Because it was pretty different. I always like to okay. imagine, what would it have been like to, you know, people will sometimes get asked this question, if you could go and have dinner with any historical figure from, at, you know, at any time, who would you want to have dinner with? Well, I ask myself a different question. I think, who would you like to go back in time and have a voice lesson with? Wow. And my answer is clear, Manuel Garcia, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a voice lesson in his studio. And I have many other historical, you know, teachers who are close, close second. But yes. um, th th those are some of my particular interests, vibrato, vocal agility, historical, vocal pedagogy. Sometimes I call myself a vocal pedagogy historian because I'm so interested in the history yes. of how voice has been taught. Wow, that's wonderful. So you, you've written your dissertation on... Uh, vocal pedagogy. Have you done any other writing, any articles that people can look up and read? So I was interviewed for an article that my teacher wrote, David Jones, and uh, I think it was called Working with Children's Voices. Um, that article can be found on his website, which is voiceteacher.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I also have a blog on my own website, which is singerspace.com. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if there are any other geeks out there, the dissertation, well, it was really a thesis of which we have just spoken, is on my website, Wonderful. singerspace.com. It's under the articles tab along with uh, 
you know, some other things that I've written under the blog tab. That's fantastic. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners will go and read those <laughs> things. I mean, you, you're just, um, you know, such a, a, a fount of knowledge and information. And, you know, when you were talking about your teacher having um, discouraged you from taking lessons as a child, I am sure that that was part of the issue that the research the, the pedagogy was just not there around teaching children like it I, is today. I, I think you may be right about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was probably just like, oh, you know, don't do anything that's going to ruin your voice. Just don't. Exactly. The do no harm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just let voice mature, let her get through yes. puberty. And then, yes. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. So what is on the horizon for you? What are you looking to do next? What projects are you working on? What's going on? Well, I would love to tell you the story of my current passion project, which I call Community Vocalizing. Community Vocalizing, COVO for short. So this is an organization that uh, my husband Omar and I founded about three weeks into the pandemic. <laughs> and this is how it happened. Here in San Francisco, as I think in most of the United States, the whole world shut down in mid-March of 2020. Yeah. Uh, no more in-person voice lessons, right. no more choirs, no more San Francisco opera, no more San Francisco symphony. All of the places, you know, all of my students' employers were shutting down all of their concerts and their rehearsals etc 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 and i was hearing the same thing from all of my students i don't feel like singing anymore yeah. i'm not practicing uh what's the point there's nothing for me to prepare for i have no motivation and I thought to myself, well, this is terrible. <laughs> These people are going to need their voices again someday. What are we going to do about this? So as it turns out, I had been one of the early adopters of, you know, back then, this newfangled thing that we called Zoom. <laughs> and I had already been teaching, you know, sort of little seminars for my own studio. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had already discovered the potential of this thing called Zoom. And I thought to myself, all right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put out the word to my own students, which are many, um, here's a Zoom link. Get online with me on Monday night at six o'clock and I will lead you through a 30 minute vocal exercise routine. And I crafted it very mindfully. I, you know, I made sure that the bulk of what we were going to sing was going to be appropriate for most voice categories. Mm -hmm. You know, we were going to do one exercise to stretch the high voice, one exercise mm -hmm. to stretch the low voice. We were going to do some agility. We were going to do some, uh, you know, some diction exercises. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone will show up. <laughs> so as it turns out, 31 people wow. showed up to this first community vocalizing session. Great. And I thought, well, that was fun. <laughs> and they told me, well, that was fun. You know, and I led the extra, I'm sitting here at my, at my piano right now. So I sat here at the piano and they could hear me sing. And of course, everybody was muted in their own little Zoom boxes, but so many people chose to keep their video on. And 
it created this sense of community yeah. when we all had to be apart from one another. Yeah. So fast forward, one of my students did this without my permission, but I now thank her. So she was a member of one of our excellent community choruses in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bach Bach Choir. Mm-hmm. They have been around for decades. So she just sent my link to all 80 of the people in the Bach Choir. Oh, that's great. So at the next meeting, there was a lot of strangers showing up, but I was like, this is okay. Well, maybe this will be helpful to more people. So it was completely organic. I did no advertising whatsoever. But within a couple months, every Monday, every Wednesday, there were a 100 singers from eventually all over the country that would show up for these vocal exercise routines. I did not charge anything. I did not require people to register. It was my community service to my community during the pandemic. I thought, well, this is something I know how to do. I know how to exercise people's voices. Yes. So fast forward some more. Um, Here we are now in 2022. I have now given 238 of these free vocal exercise classes. They are still offered every Monday and Wednesday from 6 to 6.30 Pacific time. Anybody can go to our website and request the free link. Our website is covo.com, C-O-V-O.com. Wow. So our numbers have I'm very grateful about this. Our numbers have dwindled as people now have their choir rehearsal again on Monday nights, but we still have, uh, you know, a a robust attendance at every session. That's great. And you asked me about, you know, what's next for me. Well, we um, figured out that there was a tremendous potential in the ability to get people singing together in this way, to get them exercising their voices in this way. This is what I always say, vocal exercise leads to vocal health. If you want to maintain your vocal fitness, you need to use it or lose it. And for many people singing once a week at church choir rehearsal is great, Mm -hmm. but it's not always gonna be enough to, uh, to maintain vocal health and vocal fitness. And as I gave some of these general exercise classes, I found myself giving these little technical tips because this is what I do. I'm a pedagogue. How do you make a high note more comfortable? How do you make a middle voice note more resonant? How do you get your voice to move faster if you want to sing a fast scale? So this is when part two of COVA was born. So in addition to our free classes, we offer registration-based vocal workouts that are around particular themes. This is where, again, singers will understand when we say a vocal workout, but for people who don't understand singers, I always say, think about Peloton, but without the equipment, right? (laughs) Peloton is where your trainer comes into your house via online and leads you through an exercise routine of various kinds. So 
I provide these classes um, several times a week. For example, tonight's class is on high notes. Last week, um, we had classes on, gosh, what did I teach last, uh, last week? One was um, speaking voice for singers, mm -hmm. tongue release, mm -hmm. uh, low notes, vocal agility, vocal fold closure. Some of them are more sciency, like mm -hmm. the soft palate. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a little more um, broad, like imagery mm -hmm. in vocal technique. And I just find that my creativity is seemingly endless yes. on the themes that we can teach around. And what is unique about these sessions is that they are vocal workouts, that during one of these 45-minute classes, the participants will be singing again, muted in their own little Zoom boxes for at least half an hour That's wonderful. of that time. But each vocal exercise, I provide the rationale behind it, those technical tips that help singers move forward technically mm -hmm. while they are keeping their voices in shape. That is so, so I'm wonderful. really passionate about that. And I just, I want to reach more and more and more singers That's with this wonderful. form of exercise and with this way of delivering information. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. And all of our listeners on this podcast, many of them may uh, may come and avail themselves of your services. It's wonderful. We would love to have you come Kovo with us. Yes, yes, it's become a verb for the, are you going to Kovo tonight? Yeah, I'm going to Kovo tonight. I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great. So what advice would you give to singers that perhaps want to become vocal pedagogues? What, what uh -huh. advice would you give to them uh, with regard to finding success in this field? Well, um, first of all, read broadly. Mm -hmm. Second of all, I hope that you have had the opportunity to take some wonderful coursework in vocal pedagogy at your, you know, as part of your uh, you know, advanced degree program or even as an undergraduate. Um, Many people will already have taken that advice, but my biggest piece of advice is watch people doing this. So I think about the way that young doctors are trained, mm -hmm. right? They become residents and there is a supervising physician, mm -hmm. right? The young doctor gets to be present in the room to watch the, you know, experienced uh, surgeon assessing the patient. And most young voice teachers don't get that opportunity nearly enough. Yes. And it can be a little uncomfortable sometimes if this ability to observe good technical voice teaching. Mm -hmm. If this opportunity hasn't been provided by whatever your education program has been, or maybe you haven't had formal education and you're an independent studio voice teacher and you mm -hmm. think I would, I'd love to learn more. So I think, again, this is, this is definitely changing. Voice teachers don't guard their secrets like they were trade secrets anymore. There are no secrets mm -hmm. in voice teaching. There's just, you know, good information and healthy yes. ways to provide it. So in my experience, most teachers are willing to be observed, especially mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, 
people who are coming up in the profession. Mm -hmm. I know that Nats has formalized internship programs now where this uh, ability to observe is part of the program. But, um, you know, my teacher, David Jones, tells about how he always says, I was young and stupid, but he would just write to voice Mm -hmm. teachers. He was, he, you know, lives in New York. He would just write to voice teachers and say, hi, I'm David Jones. I'm a young voice teacher. I'd love to come and sit in your studio. And he says, I was so young. I was so young and stupid. (laughs) But people would let him. Yes. Yes. And this is how he learned. And he is unbelievably generous in opening his studio Mm -hmm. to, to teachers who would like to, I mean, I've I've been in lessons where um, there was a little gallery, there was a little peanut gallery, (laughs) you know, the singer has to agree, of course, course. because the singer is very generously sharing their process. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, there, there were like six or seven of us sitting there like furiously taking notes and watching somebody teach. Yeah. It's the best way to learn. It's the best way to learn anything. Fantastic. Now, do you offer uh, that opportunity via Zoom or, you know, if, if any teachers wanted to observe you? So it's interesting. Uh, you know, Zoom provides, um, I've not formally offered that opportunity, but I guarantee if anybody just wrote me and said, hey, I'd love to watch you teach a tenor, you know, that's great. I bet I could find one uh, who would be willing to be observed. Zoom provides, again, I still teach a great deal on Zoom. I'm back in person to, you know, to some degree, but Zoom allows this wonderful fly on a wall, you know, fly on the wall possibility where, you know, just last week, one of my students who's baritone was being observed by one of my other students who is a teacher and she wanted to observe me vocalize a baritone Mm -hmm. and Once we established the Zoom call, it was like she wasn't even there, you know, because Zoom just allows you to be uh, present with uh, the person who's making the sound, you know. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, I hope that some of our listeners will contact you and observe you because I just I think you're just truly dynamic in every way. Yeah, I mean, you're just full of personality and great stories and great experience and you know, I, I think um, people would really enjoy observing uh, your teaching. So I hope people will do that. I may do that myself. How fun. That would be fun. And maybe yes. it could be uh, uh, reciprocal. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love that. You can do that too. I would love that. I would love that. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your uh, you know, your future projects or just anything that you'd like to, any parting words? Well, if anybody was tantalized by hearing uh, Greta talk about the vibrato presentation that I gave to the Chicago Nats chapter, uh, this presentation will be offered again towards the end of October on October 22nd, um, the vibrato intensive will be taking place. This is a three hour experience where um, registrants are going to learn all of these things about vibrato that Greta mentioned, the parameters of a healthy vibrato, what causes vibrato physiologically, what are the technical factors that affect vibrato? How do I get one if I want one but don't have it? 
How do I minimize it if I have it, but don't want it or don't want so much of it? And as always, as with every uh, workout and seminar that I offer through Kovo, the participants are singing and a lot. Um, the final thing that I'll mention about these um, vocal workouts and seminars that I provide is that, yes, they are given live. I love having people on the line live with me over Zoom, but they are also all recorded. So if there's a topic that you're really interested in, but you got something else to do that Saturday, you can still sign up and you get the recording and all the materials um, for a month. So I would love to have anyone join us if vibrato is a mystery uh, uh, or, or um, a topic of interest. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Dr. Julia Nielsen, what a pleasure this has been to chat with you for this time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure for me as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Good news. We're partnering. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is delighted to be included in the NatsCast network. NatsCast is the official podcast network of the National Association of Teachers of Singing. It's an honor to be part of this community and have the opportunity to provide encouragement, education, and entertainment to singers everywhere. Singers, have you ever wanted to improve your sight reading skills? Do you want to hear harmonies better and sing them more easily? Would you like to be able to improvise and sing more styles of music? Donovan Mixon's performance ear training can help you with all of these things. Donovan has been a faculty member at Berkeley College of Music and is an expert in this field. Doesn't matter where you live, classes are offered online. Visit donmixon.com. Check out our show notes for more info. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is brought to you by the privatemusicstudio.net, Eternal Wolf Music, and Greta Pope Entertainment. Let us know if you know of a singer who is having great success in the music business. We'd love to share their story and their journey on this podcast. Send your emails to info at gretapope.com. We've had a great time with you today. See you next time on the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. The Business Savvy Singer.